welcome to the Bloke and the Bird Show. This week, as we um, catch our breath from today's race. Truly, it was a bit exciting. It was. For a while. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it, it, it had a slow middle part, and it looked like it was going to get kind of, as Daniel Ricardo would say, tasty towards the end. Tasty. Tasty. I what mean, we had we had four cars at one point vying for first place. We I, haven't had that happen in a long time. I question that because the third car was five seconds back. I don't think no, it wasn't that far back. That's what the graphic said. Okay. No, it was the the graphic was shoot. Yeah, the the third car was five seconds back, but it was a matter of if the Red Bull could get in front of Vettel. He had a chance for a run. Ah. So, yeah. Okay. But, yes, it was pretty exciting. The front cars actually got lots and lots of airtime. Sadly, none of them were a Mercedes. We'll get to that, though. First, we need to talk about Silverstone. Okay, we can do that. Silverstone, you know, we, we've spoken before, as much as they have had some trouble and some struggles with attendance, and they have recently brought the the British Grand Prix back to profitability, uh, they're still seeing increased ticket sales to the point that they're now looking to increase the crowd capacity at the stadium. They're shooting for 150,000 people on race day, um, with a three-day attendance pushing 400,000 people. So you're telling me that if the stars align and my expected business trip to the UK can occur right around Silverstone weekend, I'm going to be amongst a huge crowd? Yes. And you're going to be very angry. Well, what they're trying to do, Um, They're working with Charlie Whiting to see if they can move barriers and catch fencing around to create extra space. Um, And this is coming from Patrick Allen, who runs the track. He said, what I didn't want to do was just cram in another 10,000 and ruin the experience of those standing. They would be too crushed, and we are always mindful of the safety of people. The one thing we are not short of at Silverstone is space, but we needed permission to see how we moved around some of the fencing without causing any overt danger. Charlie is happy and has okayed all of our plans. Oh, okay. So the fencing is to be moved in several areas with options including Beckett's, down what is now the National Circuit, Pitt Strait, and Abbey. And Silverstone has acquired a further 600 seats, taking over a third of what was traditionally been the British Racing Drivers Club grandstand at Abbey. All righty. So it's both seats and standing room area that they will be adding to. Now, the thing you got to remember, if you get to go to Silverstone for that weekend, and I'm not sure you will, but if you do. I have like a month to make that trip happen. Silverstone has a reputation at times for being rather wet. Mm-hmm. And when it's wet, from what we have heard, the fan experience is rather miserable. Okay, let me review. At <laughs> Silverstone... On a Grand Prix weekend, it could be pouring down cats and dogs. You think I'm not going to go? I will buy myself some wellies and I will go. Okay. 
I'm going, I mean, if I do get to do this, mm -hmm. I'm going to be in standing room seating there. I've, I, there's no chance I'm going to be anything better than yeah. in the grass somewhere. Um, it's going to be weird if I get to do it and I'm there by myself. Mm -hmm. Maybe one of the people that I'm going to go visit as far as the will be fans and I can go hang. We shall see. Anyway. But anyway, that's my new hope. We don't so, know if this is happening. This is not confirmed at all. So nobody make plans one way or the other around this. It's called Trisha's Wishful Thinking. Anyway. This this weekend, in specific, as we record this on Sunday, today was the day that the various engine manufacturers were required to come forward and declare to uh, the FIA who their engine deals were. Mm -hmm. So we've heard from three teams. We have not heard from Ferrari as to what their deals are just yet. Um, Do they get a special deadline because they're Ferrari? That may be the issue. I don't know. Um Mercedes has come out and said that uh, they still have contracts in place with Williams, Force India, and Manor, so no changes there. Maybe the works team will run something different, but I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, we're Mercedes. We're running a Renault engine. Yeah, no. No, they go, they'll go with Honda. Oh, they'll go with the Honda, yes. <laughs> there go you go. Honda. Speaking of Renault, um, they have said that they are happy to continue working with Red Bull beyond this season once the current contract expires. Well, they should be, especially after today. Well, yeah. The The other thing, though, you've got to wonder, and this may be why Renault is a little squidgy as to how much of Red Bull they're dealing with and why Ferrari has not come out with anything. Because it could be possible that um, Toro Rosso could shift back to the Renault engines as well. Oh, that's true. That would make some sense as to why Ferrari and Red Bull haven't been, not Red Bull, R Ferrari and Renault aren't fully disclosing today. Yeah. Um, especially when you consider that you can't think that Toro Rosso is particularly thrilled with getting last year's engine with no chance of upgrades to that power unit at all. True. And then we heard from Honda. Now, let me guess. They've expanded their... Um, their teams, well, to well themselves. I was going to say they have expanded their supply to one team. Excellent. They will continue to just supply McLaren, Honda, and its two cars, and that is it. Um, but they'll be first on the list if any team is without an engine. Potentially, it's so find a contract, or you could get stuck with a Honda. <laughs> <laughs> um. Honda says that it has had conversations with teams about a potential second supply, but there have been no formal talks. Its chief, Yosuke Hasegawa, has said it is not currently ready to supply a second team alongside McLaren, but is open to doing so in the future. Makes sense. Is that like the, I'm not quite ready to endorse the current nominee for president, but I hope to be able to at some time in the future? Because it sounds just as stupid. <laughs> it's called hedging. Yeah. That's what we call it. So speaking of Ferrari. Speaking of Ferrari, who have not declared who they're going to supply this year. 
there were some rumors that have come out in the last couple of weeks that uh, Ferrari chairman and newly appointed CEO Sergio Marchionne is uh, not particularly thrilled with the team's performance so far this season. Um, to the uh, the rumor is said that uh, he has said that he wants the team to finally start winning races. He's not happy that they haven't won races. He's not happy that they haven't brought the the challenge to Mercedes like everybody kept saying and expected them to do. Um, and is reported to have told the team that he wanted the team to start winning starting with Spain. Okay, well, they had a double podium. Which... As part of this, though, as part of these words, there was a theory that um, possibly Maurizio Arriva Bene's job could be on the line with the possibility that um, James Allison could move up to replace him. Okay, nothing against James Allison. I, I like the man. But I really like Arriva Bene. I really do. The thing is, though, with Arriva Bene, and, and and yes, he is a personality. That's what I like about him. And that's cool. But in terms of technical management and leadership, his entire career has been marketing cigarettes. Okay, but I go back to he's a marketer. Yeah. And there's something cool to me, a fellow marketer, that – likes the fact that there's a marketer running an F1 team. No, does he have the technical skill to talk engines and tires? I'm assuming he has trusted advisors because that's what we do. Yeah. But but he's done some seriously cool things at Ferrari to make Ferrari more accessible to the fan. And – to, to the limited extent that Ferrari actually is accessible well, because it is still it, it, a very it is closed still Ferrari, group. But he's blurred the line a little bit. I mean, it's it's everything from sitting in the stands with um, Esteban Gutierrez. Yeah. I mean, that's just cool stuff. That is a marketing mind at work. And I love doing that. The the jabs that he sent back and forth to Nicky Lauda about what food they, mm-hmm. they go, that's – Cool stuff. That's part of what makes me excited about F1. That's why I like him. That part is fine. But if the push is figure out what's happening so that you're not winning, and being the team principal means that you're responsible for the performance of the team, if the team is not performing up to the expectations of the team owner, well, yeah, the first person that they're going to start looking at is going to be somebody like or even Bene, who is not, yes, he may be promoting the team and doing that part, and you know maybe that's the right place for him. Maybe instead of at Ferrari, he needs a promoter role somewhere else where a promoting, uh, a, an overall promoter role is lacking. Are you thinking? Taking Bernie's, Bernie's spot. spot. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> But Arriva I can't prob- take Bernie's spot, and I'll tell you why. Not until because Bernie's still alive. Well, no, <laughs> no, because you can't have the pa- power of pass while Bernie's alive. No, it's because Arriva Bene has got better hair. You know, I'm sure that could be taken care of. 
I'm sure that could easily be because handled. Because I mean, we are a, working a on less, all evil dictators have bad hair now. A, a, a little less brill cream, and he'll be fine. I don't know. He is not, not a bad-looking so man. Quite so much pomade, and I think that hair to... just like wakes up looking like that. Anyway, he's Italian after all. So yeah, Sergio Marchionne has come forward and said that no, Maurizio's position is safe, and he has nothing to worry about, which sounds fairly promising. But I seem to recall what was it two years ago. When we heard similar talk around Luca de Montezemolo, and then a week later he was gone. But he's a really nice guy. No, I don't think they said that about Luca D. I well, don't think they ever said anything like that. Yeah, that's de always the good sign that somebody's really yeah. going someplace. Kiss of death. Oh, he's a really great guy. Yeah. Bye bye. So last week we talked about more rumors surrounding Alfa Romeo coming back yes. to Formula One. Well, this past week at the launch of Alfa Romeo's new Julia Road Car, which uh, it's an interesting car, if you can get past the fact that from the front grill back it looks like a Chrysler, but we, we won't go there. Anyway, so at the at, is this the one that we saw in the wild? No, this is not. Okay, because the one that we saw in the wild looks much more like a Pontiac to me than a. Chrysler. That that was only in passing. That was a coupe. I want to say it was a 4C that was sitting in our local Fiat dealership. It's either a 4C or an 8C. I'm not sure which. It, it kind of looked like the that Pontiac thing. I, I think you're mistaking the front end. Um, yeah, there are some minor similarities, but we, we saw it in passing. And I think if you had seen it more, you, you would have instantly lost that. Okay. But anyway, um, while at the launch, one of the things that uh, Sergio said was, I do not know if Alfa Romeo will join Formula One, but if it does, it will not be simply as an engine supplier, but as a full factory team. Much will depend on the success of the Julia and how many cars we sell. It will require serious funds. To invest in racing, you need to sell a lot of cars. And today we are just in the beginning. So, those of you who want to see Alfa Romeo back, you need to start you lining up at the car. local Alfa dealership. Because <laughs> it's the only way it's happening. Go buy. But when you buy one, you need to tell them, I'm buying this to support your F1. Well, see, that's what you should do, is you buy the car. And as you're standing there with the keys, you take the picture and you tweet it over to Sergio saying, see, one more car closer to an F1, F1 team. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag cars for F1. <laughs> <clears throat> so obviously there was a lot of talk. Well, this week we watched some oddball coverage. Oddball coverage. Well, we, we started off with Channel 4 for qualifying, mm -hmm. which was pretty good. We have not seen their um, their race coverage because it wasn't up and we got tired of waiting for it. And, wanted, and I really want to see what was going on with Susie Wolf and David Cothard and their host, whatever the heck his name was, driving a classic Mercedes convertible through Barcelona singing 500 miles. I know. I know. I got to know what's going on with that. That... We may have to clip that out because that might be my new ringtone. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag love Susie. But while at least for qualifying, 
the big story the big story for Channel Four was not necessarily Max. Obviously, they talked about it, but it was not the entire focus of everything they spoke about. When we watched the race coverage at NBC Sports, Will Buxton was on, like, rerun. Well, first, Will's got a total man crush on Max. I mean, total man crush. Let me put it to you this way. If you were doing the Max Verstappen drinking game, Will Buxton's pit lane interviews, with the exception of when he went to go talk to uh, Sir Jackie Stewart, who I have no idea what the hell Jackie was talking about. (laughs) But Will Buxton's pit lane interview with everybody else, if you were doing the Max Verstappen drinking game, you would have been passed out drunk (laughs) by the time Will got about... A minute and a half into that interview. I was going to say, it was a three-minute pit lane walk, and easily 2.45 minutes of it were all Max. He he might have mentioned Max's name like 40 times. It was ridiculous. And he realized at the end, he's like, well, you know, I'm sorry for just focusing on Max, but that's the big story. I'm like, no, it was it's not. You made it the big story, you (laughs) dummy. All you talked about. But I'm telling you, Will, man crush on Max Verstappen. It must be. I mean, totally. It's it's wild. But yeah, that's all Will wanted to talk about. Will didn't want to talk about any of the other stuff that was going on. And there was actually other things to talk about. Well, to to be start to, to, to start this off, um, Christian Horner has come out and said, and, and this is what I think is, and we mentioned this last week, this is what I think is the true reason for this move. Christian Horner has said that with Max's move to uh, Red Bull, they have shut the door on driver discussions with him. Well, he also said point blank they lengthened his contract. Yes. So, yes, we said and called it correctly because that's what the bloke and the bird does. Last week, we called it and said that this has much more to do with Max's future than Daniel's past. We called it correctly. That's what we do. I thought what we did was just make stuff up and hope we were close to right. (laughs) You are going to destroy us. Don't pull back the curtain. Don't let them know that we have no idea what we're talking about. That's not the way this works. If you boldly say something three times with confidence, it's true. Just remember that. No, I, I, I think it was fairly clear that that was the idea was, well, there were two things. One I think Red Bull will admit to, one they won't. And the one that they will admit to, they did. They wanted to make sure that they were able to retain Max because they thought that there was a risk that they wouldn't. The other thing, and that... Wait a minute, I, did, I don't mean to interrupt, and I'm okay. sorry. But did you hear that one little throwaway line that Max didn't think that what Mercedes was offering was... I'm, I'm, I was oh. going to get to that. Never mind. I'm we sorry. Have, we, we have words actually from Toto about that. Okay, go. Um, but bef- before we get to that, um, the other thing that I think Red Bull wanted, the entire organization, well, maybe not over at Toro Rosso, and they were not getting from Daniel Kvyat, is they wanted two drivers mixing it up at a minimum with each other. Mm-hmm. Because, yes, last season, Daniel outscored and did better than Ricardo on paper. Correct. But in terms of 
as an exciting driver to watch and one who was dicing it up a bit more, Ricardo was much more exciting. And the same thing back down over at Toro Rosso, Max was much more exciting to watch. So the thought and is... Drivers mixing it up within a team does get you airtime. Right. Good point. Even better if, as we have seen from Max before, and even from Daniel, they're both wise enough to be able to mix it up with other drivers, including teammates, and not cause incidents. Which, you know, we yeah. kind of wish that a pair of Mercedes boys could have done. Yeah, anyway. But... That's the other reason, and I don't think Red Bull will ever admit to that. I think you may hear, and, and, and we've heard something close to that from both Vettel and from Mark Webber, that that's something that the team is interested in. But if you want to know what uncomfortableness is. What is uncomfortable? So this race, obviously, it, it's the return of F1 to Europe, and, and as one of the talking points that, Many of the, the media outlets like to throw out there about when Formula One comes to Europe, and Barcelona in particular, is that this is when the team motorhomes come out. Instead of relying on trackside hospitality units, the teams bring these, and I, I'd really like to see these in person because I don't know how they, they are motorhomes from what I have seen of the inside. I mean, these have got to be just tractor trailers that are bolted in, in major construction. Some of them, I think, are just actually buildings that they have folded up and sticking. <laughs> I mean, the McLaren one has an atrium. I mean, come on. I mean, <laughs> it's round. How many motorhomes do you know that are round? Winnebago's. They're you're capsule thinking, shaped. You're, you're thinking Airstreams, but anyway. Okay, Airstreams. Capsule but no, shaped. this is like a circle. I don't know, but... but I'm anyway. thinking much more like the Hammond uh, when they went camping yeah. and Hammond unfolded his multi-room. city. Yeah. So where I'm going to with this, though, is that, you know, all the teams have their own motorhome, with the exception of the Red Bull Toro Rosso group. They share a facility that is known as the Red Bull Energy Station. One side of that facility goes to Red Bull. The other side goes to Toro Rosso. So even though Daniel Kvyat may be at Toro Rosso now, he still has to go into the same building that he went to with Red Bull, but now he's on the, the other side. I kind of felt really bad for him as everybody talks, and I know this is just me, but everybody was talking about the A team versus the B team. Yeah. And I get that that's the way they're lined up, and I do understand that. But – they're equally on the grid. And so you've got, we took a B driver and made him on the A team and put the A driver on the B team. You just kind of feel sorry for Porcavia, really. Honestly. You went back down to the you, farm league. You need to be sorry, not just for Kvyat, but Carlos Sainz. Well, because yes. here's the thing, is that as we have seen throughout the entire life of Toro Rosso, is that a driver's career at Toro Rosso has a shelf life. Mm -hmm. We've only seen one driver survive at Toro Rosso for three years. Everybody else has been out two years or less. So you've got Kvyat, who's been kicked down to Toro Rosso. 
He's not picking back up next year. You know that. If he does not turn around and light the world on fire, number one, and number two, get some sponsorship money behind him, he's out next year because he's going to need sponsorship to stay in at this point. Same thing with Carlos Sainz, who's been down there for two years. If he can't get some sponsorship money, he's out next year too because they don't keep anybody around down there. No. No, and they've already locked Max up in the A-team, and I don't see them letting Ricardo go anytime soon up there. So you've got a you've got a promotion block. Yeah. Now, could Carlos go someplace else? I mean, what did we talk about? Silly season's going to start, and 75% of the grid's going to be open. Well, that's so. the, that's the only way. Now, Carlos, I think, has a fighting chance. He's shown speed. He has not been demoted. Um, he appears to be light on the grid. So there may be some possibility. But again, he coming up through the Red Bull organization, he may need sponsorship money in order to move to another team, depending on what seats actually open up. That's true. That's true. So, back to your earlier comment about Max. Yes. Okay. Um, Total Wolf was asked about you know whether or not that Mercedes had approached Max and Joss about a seat. Um, so what Toto said was that he's a really good boy and Joss is a decent guy. He knows the ins and outs of racing. I remember seeing Max first time around when he got a trophy in 2013 at the FIA Awards in Paris when he drove a go-kart on and off the stage, and within two years that boy has made a name for himself in Formula One and for every reason. But we never had any serious discussions because it was clear he was in the Red Bull channels, and when it mattered for Max, we couldn't give him interesting enough opportunities. Red Bull was giving him the Toro Rosso seat, and obviously now, within two years, it has become clear they needed to give him a Red Bull drive. And here we go. Everything is panned out in the way Joss planned, and that's great for him. So what this sounds like was that there haven't been any serious discussions in the last two years because they didn't feel that they were going to have a seat available. Mm. At least that's how Toto's making it sound. That's true. I kind of got the impression that there had been some sort of discussion and that might have facilitated the we're making this move and we're making it now. Yeah. So speaking of driver moves. Yes. Okay, maybe not. An actual driver move. But uh, last week we we mentioned that uh, the possibility that Roman Grosjean might be paired with a Haas seat. Mm-hmm. Isn't Haas NASCAR. Correct. Uh, may not actually happen, but Roman has come out and said that he'd really like to do it. On his side, though, there's an issue. What would be the issue? He hasn't spoken to his wife yet. Oh. <laughs> okay. Yeah. She might have words about that. There's some other issues also. There are actually some rules issues within NASCAR that could hold this up. Um, NASCAR's chief operating officer, Brent DeWar, told ESPN in February um, there's apparently a fifth car provision that was removed from NASCAR rules. Teams run up to four cars. Correct. Um, What Stuart Haas Racing would have to do, that's their NASCAR team, is they would have to run a fifth car for um, Roman to run which isn't allowed at this point. 
So in order for them to legally uh, give Roman a seat, one of Stuart Haas Racing's other drivers would have to get booted for the race. Oh. Yeah. So one of the team's four full-time drivers would need a substitution. And it doesn't – that may not happen. Well, that can be a tough thing if you're fighting for points of any sort. You're not going to give up your seat. You know, exactly. Every ounce of time behind the wheel is important. It happens the same way in Formula One when people have to give up their seats for free practice one. But the other thing you got to wonder, and I, I get and I appreciate the idea of drivers getting to try in other disciplines. Mm-hmm. And along the same lines, the thought of, you know, NASCAR is one of the biggest if not the biggest race series in the United States the thought of an international driver coming and taking a seat and and you know mixing it up with them to seeing how they shook out compared to them yeah that'd be kind of cool but what are the actual benefits what happens and I don't know how well Stuart Haas Racing's cars are you know are are they they competitive are they back marker or mid marker something like that but if roman comes in and he does not do well how does that impact Haas F1's fortunes in terms of or, or their efforts to attract fans from NASCAR or from other series in the US how does that impact Roman Grosjean's credibility in general as a racing driver? It's a risk. I mean, I think that it's a risk. I mean, you turn around and you watch something like, you know, Hulkenberg's performance in Le Mans last year, and you realize how much it increases his cred. And that's the thing. They cross over and they do well. You, it is phenomenal. They cross over and they don't do well. Is it less phenomenal or are they just seen as being out of sync with the sport? You know, out of sync with that version of the sport. And and I think some of that goes back to the question of how competitive is Stuart Haas racing? And since we don't watch um, NASCAR, we don't know. And no. No. I, we, ha- we cannot have any more weekends with any more races. C- considering we haven't been able to keep up with IndyCar, I, I understand that. Um but that would be the question because if Stuart Haas Racing was competitive and they were frequently mixing it up at the front, the thought of bringing in a Formula One driver for a race or two to compete at that level in NASCAR, it could be interesting. Oh, yeah. But that, I mean, that's the question. I, I, I don't know, though, if there's really any benefit for Formula One doing that. I have to agree with you. I'm not sure I see the benefit there. Anyway, moving on. Force India. Force India. So coming into this weekend, Force India was expected to roll out a comprehensive upgrade for Spain. Um, what VJ Malia said was that the car should look quite different um, at the Grand Prix. Now, I'm not sure I noticed a substantial difference. Granted, the cars didn't get a whole lot of full-screen airtime on uh, NBC Sports. I couldn't tell you I saw a whole lot, but uh, then again, there was a giant nap in the middle of the race. Well, okay. But VJ said that there was a, a comprehensive upgrade coming, 
based on how well the cars ran with this upgrade, was going to determine their development path for the remainder of the season. Wow. Basically, according to VJ, and, and this kind of makes sense, although it may be a, I think it may be a touch early for it. VJ has said if the cars did well this weekend, now by what measure he's going with did well, I don't know, especially knowing how they came out. But if the cars did well this weekend, they would continue to develop the car. Mm-hmm. However, if performance fell flat, um, they were writing off the season. Wow. So they're writing off the season. I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. I'm sure we'll find out more over the the next week or so as to what the plan is and whether or not, yes, they've written off the season or they're going to continue to work through some stuff in the pipeline. I don't know. They were expecting uh, something on the level of what they saw last year with their B-Spec car that they rolled out in uh, Silverstone. Mm -hmm. I don't think that happened this weekend. Granted, it's hard to tell when you have Nico Hulkenberg's car catch fire. So I don't know. Could that be one of the upgrades? Fire. Fire? <laughs> if they were afterburners, I would agree with you. This just looked like flaming bodywork. <laughs> and the thing is, while painted flames are supposed to, to um, add five horsepower, real flames, from my understanding, actually take away horsepower. <laughs> oh, is that the way that works? Okay, so painted flames good, real flames bad. Right. Okay. These are important things for me to note, you know. Yes, I don't know are. all this stuff. This highly technical stuff. So Haas rolled out, uh, speaking of Haas earlier, uh, a new engine and a new rear wing. Um, I think they had mixed results from these. I'm not sure. Well, they got points. So at least there was that. Go points. But, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure that that was a big step up for them yet either. Yeah. And Lewis mm-hmm. ran an improved design of the MGUH and Turbo at the Spanish Grand Prix in the hopes of solving his recent reliability problems. And he might have. He might have solved his recent reliability problems. Well, the problem is that this moves Lewis onto his fourth MGUH and fourth turbo of the season. That means he's got just one left of each component before he starts incurring grid penalties for changes. Lewis has already told BBC that he thinks it's likely they could go to six. Mm-hmm. Depends on how much they can salvage out of his current one. <laughs> and, and that's a really good question. Now, Charlie Whiting has come out and said that he believes that um, Lewis Hamilton's Mercedes reliability issues are an aberration. And again, when you look at their preseason testing, you got to kind of think that it was. Mm-hmm. And the fact that it's only been isolated to him, you got to kind of think that it was. But, you know, he thinks that it's probably an aberra- aberration. Also on driver stuff. I probably should have moved this to the other talk with Max. Um, there were rumors that Jolien Palma's seat was in trouble. Oh, no. Well, he hasn't had the greatest start. No, he hasn't. But how much of that is Jolien and how much of that is Renault? I mean, let's be honest. Renault's not, Team Banana's not kicking butt. Well, there's that. What also helped uh, fan those flames is that um, the in FP1 of the Spanish Grand Prix, his seat went to Esteban Ocon 
Right. And the big concern being a rookie in Formula One, you want the lap time. Mm-hmm. You want as much track time as possible. And he just lost a whole session. Right. And could be losing more. Oh, poor guy. And you lump on the fact that Esteban Ocon is a French driver at a French Ooh. team. Oh. I'm sorry, Jolian. Now, he ha- he does say that uh, he's been told categoric- categorically by management that everything is fine. Um, he says, you know, I've only had four races and there have been mixed results, but he's looking forward to the future. Um, so he still has a contract. Everything is in place. The team is reassuring him that his future is safe, even if um, they're cutting back on the amount of time he gets behind the wheel. All righty. So we'll see where that goes. We had some comments from Nico Rosberg that I thought actually was kind of interesting from what we know about Nico. Is this post-race? No, this was pre-race. Pre-race, okay. Um, He was asked uh, in the run-up to this week's race about the the radio ban and the impact that that's been having. Yes. (laughs) Um, And what he has said was uh, he likes the current direction because we're more on our own. What's more important now is the pre-race preparation where we work more intensely together through all these different things my engineer can't tell me in a race. There's more focus on that. It's more intense and complex. In the race, it's good. We're out there. We get the job done ourselves, and it's a real challenge. I like it. To everybody at home who said we look like Muppets directed by our engineers on radio, that's stopped now, so it's a good direction. You know, Nico Rosberg, who was constantly pushing the limits of the amount of information he could get his engineer to radio to him, now says the radio ban is good. Okay. <laughs> I'm just amused that he thought that everybody was a Muppet. Well, he's, he said to the people at home who said we looked like Muppets. I don't think any of the Formula driver, One drivers look like Muppets. Well, except maybe Alonzo, because he's a little scruffy. I was going to say, have you seen how Alonzo likes to wear his hair? <laughs> yeah. Alonzo <laughs> is a little Muppet-esque. <laughs> See? But that's just Alonzo. I mean, Button is certainly not a Muppet. Okay. Just saying. <laughs> hey, back to Renault. Kevin Magnuson. Yeah, I know. I, I should have ordered wow. these. I should have ordered these better, but me and the tabs, we didn't get along very well. Kevin Magnuson has said that uh, Renault is lucky that there is a rule change coming in 2017. <laughs> okay. <laughs> or we can translate that as, oh, God, this car is terrible and we're never going to fix it. We need something <laughs> <Something> major. <laughs> we need something. Somebody put this in a oh, bin and start Lord. over. Oh, good Lord. So let's get to the race, shall we? It okay. was It was looking promising. It was looking like, you know, Lewis put down a great lap in qualifying. He sees pole handily. It looked like we were going to get the battle we had been waiting on for two straight years. Yes. The lights went out. They started off. Lewis didn't have a bad start for the he had first a time. Great start. He had a great start. He popped right out of there. And then Nico overtook him in turn one by going to the outside when I, I think it was two actually. Going to the outside when 
uh, Lewis went to the inside. And it was a. It didn't look like Nico had any problem with that pass. It was it I mean, was a handedly right easy pass. And it looked like turn three. Nico was taking one particular line. Lewis was headed down to late break on the inside is what he was headed to try to do. Well, we've we've got some more info. There's a little more to it than just that. All I know is that Lewis was in the grass. And then he took himself and Nico all the way across the the tarback. Yeah, it was a it was a pretty big crash, and that's why they've got big gravel pits. Let's start with the the uh, the race stewards and their position on okay. this. It has been declared as a racing incident. No penalties have been assessed. The stewards stewards determined both drivers acted within the regulations. The FIA statement said car number six, that would be Nico, moved to the right to defend his position, as is his right under Article 27.7 of the sporting regulations. Mm-hmm. So you can all look this up. Simultaneously, car 44, Lewis, as the significantly faster car with, at that time, apparent space on the inside, moved to make the pass. Article 27.7 requires the leading driver to leave room if there is a significant portion of the car attempting to pass alongside. Car number 44 had a portion of his right of, of his front wing inside car number 6, small fractions of a second prior to car number 44 having to leave the right side of the track to avoid an initial collision which may have led him to believe that he had the right to the space on the right. So that was the steward's decision. So Nico's explanation of what happened. Okay? Okay. I got a great start. I was really excited about the first corner move to get the lead, and from then on, I was pretty sure it was my race to win. Coming out of turn three, I noticed I was down on engine power, which in hindsight is because I was in a, an incorrect mode. Now, wait, remember that whole thing that Nico just said about all of that preparation that you had to do <laughs> and how thrilled that he was? <laughs> and it turns out he put the engine in the wrong mode. Which is why he was slow going through that corner. And that's why, yeah, that starts to talk about the tangle. So moving on. The way for me to get more engine power is from my overtake button. You will see from the onboard I was pushing that, and I don't need to look where this where that is because I use it very, very often, and I know where it is, top left-hand corner. I saw Lewis closing in, and as soon as I could, I closed the door. I covered the inside with a clear, strong move to make sure he understood there would not be space there. That's what you do. You close the inside door to make sure he doesn't get by. I was well aware of where he was at all times and fully present to the battle. I was fully concentrated on Lewis. I was very surprised he went for it anyways, and that's it. We ended up in the gravel trap. Now asked whether the whether clear the excuse me, asked whether clear the air talks will be held in the days ahead, Nico said that's something I need to think about in the days to come. I can't tell you now. I don't know. I'm just extremely gutted. It's very, very tough because it was my race to win. I'm not just gutted for myself. I'm gutted for everybody because we are one team. We're all together with this in this, and I know how much they work for, for these two cars. 
For us to both end up in the gravel trap is the worst possible thing for the guys, so I'm gutted for everybody. So that's what Nico had to say. So now we have what Lewis had to say. I'm afraid. I'm really afraid. No. Lewis, I got a good start, but got slipstreamed into turn one. Through turn three, I was a lot quicker than Nico. Nico happened to be in the wrong engine mode. Before the race, we have all these procedures we have to go through. When we stop on the grid, there's only one mode we go to, which is the race mode. Nico was in that same mode for all formation lap, so I assume he forgot to change it on the grid. But once you're in the launch mode, we're both in the same mode. When we got to turn three, he disengaged the launch mode, as I did. But I went to race mode, and he went to another one. He derated. I didn't. I could see the derate light, but then it switched off, so I wasn't making any assumptions of what was going on. I was gaining on him at a fairly decent pace. I could see that I had a better run through the corner. He didn't have the power. Where he positioned the car was a car width to the right of the racing line. At the speed I was catching him, I had to decide whether to go left, which was a small gap, or right. The inside line is always the line you'd go for, and it was a much bigger gap, so I went for it. I got there, and I had part of my wing and part of my wheel alongside within the white line. Then, obviously, that gap diminished pretty quickly. <laughs> but it wasn't a case of the door was closed, and I decided to go across the grass. I saw a gap, and I went for it, and that's what racing drivers do. The feeling I have is just disappointment for the team. What's important is we just got to the next race, is that we just go to the next race and try to make sure it doesn't happen again. Today we lost 43 points. There were only two of us that were part of doing that. The apology is on my behalf that I didn't score those points for the team. These things happen in racing. But it's the right thing to apologize to all these guys. Just like when the engine fails, they apologize to me. What has happened doesn't change anything in terms of team dynamic. We just push to keep racing. Okay. I got to ask. Okay. Two things. First... How long do you think Nikki Lauda and Toto Wolf got in those boys' faces and said, you say anything derogatory about the other guy, I will punch you? And two, my other question is, did that sound like a more mature Lewis than the one that threw his steering wheel across the front of his car? Well, w since we just have the transcript, we don't have the, the tone. Right. We don't know exactly how it came across. There was some interpretation on my part because we haven't heard it. I'm hoping that next week we'll actually have some audio so that we can hear it. Um, however, it was described in the article that I saw for both of them that their tones were quote-unquote guarded. So Toto and Nikki sat the boys down and said, this is the way this will be handled. I don't know if Nikki did. Again, Nikki was very quick to come out and portion blame here, which when you watch the replays of what happened, I don't agree with Nikki at all. Nikki, Nikki th was acting as if there was some kind of a car length that Lewis had that I didn't see, or a car with there. I didn't see that space that Nikki was talking about mm -hmm. that he was blaming Lewis for. Now, Toto has come out. Then This is independent from what he said to um, the BBC, or not the BBC, to NBC and the media scrum during the race. There okay. was apparent, I think this was after uh, the stewards' decision. Um, he said, coming out of turn three, Lewis had more speed. Nico derated. Nico closed up on the inside on what looked to be a clean maneuver. 
Lewis chose to go to that side and ended up on the grass and lost the car. That was it. I would say it was a very unfortunate racing incident triggered by various circumstances. It was definitely less than enough. It's painful for them to see what we have lost, what could have been a great result, or to see that we have lost what could have been a great result. When we looked at the incident, and there are people in the team with racing experience and an opinion, the opinion differed between all of us. When I take home, what I take home is that it was an incident that could have been avoided by both sides. It's so difficult to really attribute percentages of blame. By continuing with the approach of letting them race, it was clear that eventually this could happen, and we will continue to let them race. That, I think, is key right there. Oh, yeah. Today was just a couple of unfortunate coincidences that ended up in us losing as a team. Now, what he had said during the race when he when they had come out of the initial brief was that he refused to apportion blame. He didn't want to really give any opinion whatsoever. He wanted to wait until after the stewards spoke. And I thought that was truly the only answer he could actually give. Oh, I think I agree with you. I also have to say, I give... You know, sometimes when you look at the differences between Mercedes, which I would call a more mature team, and you compare them to something like Red Bull, Mm -hmm. a less mature team, um, I think that you have to look at the fact that if the same thing happened at Red Bull, Christian Horner would have been talking to the BBC or Channel 4 during the race to talk about it. it, Well, Toto, Toto did as well. But he spoke, but he spoke very measured but the one thing that they did do is they pulled both those drivers into their motorhome mm-hmm. and they didn't let them out yeah and and, and it was that there will not be a press availability until after the after stewards. they have spoken to the stewards and again that also i think is the right thing and i think red bull would have done that also because and we have not seen since we have watched formula one and, and i got to be clear on this because we started watching in 2012. Since then, we have not seen a situation where Red Bull, or even for that matter, Ferrari driver, has taken both sides of the team of the garage out. Yeah. It has happened at Red Bull. Um, we know it was rather bitter. It was between Vettel and uh, Weber, and it happened in Turkey. And we. Because we weren't watching and we didn't see how it unfolded at the track and how those words had happened, I don't think that Horner or the team would have actually been so quick to say anything. Again, knowing that everything they say before they go in to meet with the stewards could impact the decision that the stewards make. Well, there's and that. Because and because of that, that's I, important. I think but they'd be I very guarded. That, I think that the difference that I'm I'm calling out is even within the – <clears throat> the time that we've watched it is that I've watched Red Bull make very rash statements very quickly, whether they are with regards to Shady's done that too, with regards to whatever the conversation is. Mm-hmm. But I think that the way that they handled this particular incident was a very mature and measured approach, and I don't put it past Toto to have sat the two boys down and said, "We're not letting this destroy the team." You guys, you suck it up, and you you get to the next race. And the next race is going to be Monaco. I mean, that's going to be hard enough. But Mercedes has made rash decisions and rash calls and rash pronouncements of their own. Let's, I mean, let's go back to Spa. 
and the whole incident that happened with Nico clipping Lewis and the aggression that happened there and how quick they were to condemn Nico and throw him under the bus for that. Whether you believed it was his fault or not, before there was any chance for anybody to have any introspection whatsoever, both Nico or or, or both Nikki Lauda and Toto were in front of the cameras during the podium throwing Nico under the bus. Okay. And there was no discussion with anybody over that whatsoever. They jumped on him for it. And they've they've done things like that before. And and Nikki Lauda is terrible for doing it. He does it all the time. And he did it this race. He th- he went after Lewis. Yeah. Now the the team came out and or, or Toto came out and said that there was obviously some dispute regarding who was actually to blame within the team itself. Mm-hmm. But still. Well, I got to tell you, the number of times, and they ran that replay a number of times from every angle they had mm-hmm. on it. I could tell you that if I saw it one direction, it was totally 100% Nico's fault. And if I saw it from a different direction, it was totally Lewis's fault. And that's probably why it was made a racing incident, because the Stewarts have all of those angles and then some. Right. I mean, and that's the reality, is when you start to think about... It's half of it is what the drivers saw at the time that they saw it. Mm-hmm. And but you're looking at perspective. And that was it was such an interesting accident in that no matter which angle I looked at it from, I would have assigned blame differently each time. Does it make sense? Yeah. Because to me at one point it looked like Nico had changed directions. In the turn, and that's verboten. Well, you can't do it in the braking zone, and I wasn't sure where the braking zone starts. But it looked like he changed directions. It mm-hmm. looked like he, at one point, he it looked like a double move. It, it looked, looked like, like a double move. It also looked like he did not give the car's width that he should have given. Right. Um, it looked like Lewis ran up on. It looked, from a different perspective, it looked like Nico had declared his line and, and Lewis, Lewis, dive-bombed in. Lewis dive-bombed in and Lewis didn't have the full car width that he should have had. Um, the one thing that both of us have said multiple times is I'm thankful that if it had to happen, both cars got taken out. And I know that yeah. sounds awful, but being... For a, Lewis and his points. For Lewis and his points, he had to take Nico with him. I mean, mm-hmm. that's the reality. Um, now, this does change a few things in the driver's standings. Mm-hmm. Um, it does put Raikkonen a full four points ahead of Lewis in second for second place. And it puts Vettel only nine points behind Lewis. Yeah. L- Lewis has got to have some big moments coming up. And Monaco should be kind of interesting. You know, Nico's won it, what, three years in a row now? Yeah. And... This has been a race that Lewis has been itching. I think he's won it once, maybe twice, but he has been. It has been a long time since he has won the race. It's a long time Never since he Mercedes. has had success at Monaco, and he has been itching to win that race. Yeah. And when he lost it last year due to a blown strategy call that he probably triggered, um, he was rather upset. So it should be it should be interesting. Um, now, of course, we cannot go any further without discussing 
the end of the race. Well, we've, we've got some other stuff before we get to that. Oh, some okay. other things. We're moving on from Mercedes, so. Okay. Okay. They're now out at turn three. We can go through the next 66 laps of the race. Yeah. So as you recall, actually, before we even get to that one, let's talk about this one, which we didn't hear about. Thank you, NBC Sports. Carlos Sainz Jr. was reprimanded for a pre-race incident in the pits. He was? He was. Um, he only got a reprimand for a pit lane infringement. Um, he was investigated by the stewards for leaving the pits before the track was open ahead of the race. Um, he got the lenient punishment because he stopped shortly after committing the offense. According to the FIA, the driver did leave the pit lane when the red light was displayed. A reprimand was applied due to the fact that the driver stopped the car and did not gain any advantage. The statement confirmed that Sainz crossed the pit lane at 13.29 local time, with the pits not officially opening until 13.30 for drivers to make their way to the grid. Oh. Yeah. His watch was fast. Apparently. Um, so now during the race... Another thing that we did not see, hear anything about, thank you, NBC Sports, was we were so focused on the potential for four cars fighting for first place and the incredible run that Max Verstappen had. We did not know that on the last lap, Kevin Magnuson and Jolien Palma um, mixed it up a little bit, and uh, Kevin Magnuson got a post-race time penalty for colliding with his teammate. Oh, no. And by the way, that was in addition to the Saubers almost colliding with each other during the race as well. So this is the race that we will dub teammates don't take your other teammate out. Yeah. Fight the grid, not your team. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. So now what did you have? I was going to talk about the fact that at the end of the race, we had the youngest ever Formula One winner. (laughs) I know everybody is stunned by this, but just six months ago, Max Verstappen couldn't drive himself to the racetrack, and now now he is winning F1 races. Yeah, you know, I I think this justifies Helmut Marko's decision. Um, Yeah. But let's look at the records that were just... Put in place by Max today. Okay. Okay. Yes. Youngest ever race winner in Formula One by, by I think, a year. Mm, yes. I think the last time was 19. Was... And it was in, like, the 50s. Um, so there is that one. It is only the third time that a Dutchman has been on the podium at a Formula One race. However, he is only the second Dutchman to do it and only the second Dutchman to win a race with the previous Dutchman to make it onto the podium the first time he was elevated onto the podium he didn't actually place there it was moved up due to a penalty whatever Um, and then the other time was a win would be Max's dad Joss so basically, the only Dutchmen that are on Formula One podiums are Verstappen's. Right. Now, they made a comment. Now, I did know that he comes from, you know, we all know he comes from this huge racing family. Mm-hmm. The guy, the kid was karting before he walked. I mean, we know all of this. His mom was a karting champion. Mm-hmm. Dad drove in Formula One. I mean, he's got it in his blood. I, 
all of those things do equal an 18 year old on the podium yeah i mean that's just to i mean be expected. you're a racing family and yeah you dropped the kid in a cart before they <laughs> ate solid food i get it <laughs> yeah what did he say in his garden it was go faster go faster go faster mm-hmm. yeah that well that was him driving his his, his big wheel around the, the back garden and instead of slow down be careful his mom was going go faster yeah, yeah. So, I mean, is it pretty significant a win for Red Bull, pretty significant win for Max, justification for Helmet. I mean, all of those great things. Um, Ferrari had second and third, um, worked really, really hard for second and third. Honestly thought we were going to see a first and third on Red Bull. Um, Vettel hung on by the skin of his teeth to that third. Well, you know... When you look at the numbers, Ricardo actually led 31 laps of that race. Mm-hmm. It, if it wasn't for the fact that they went with the, the they put him on a three stopper and they left Max on a two stopper, ah. which Ricardo doesn't understand. Well, think about it. Ricardo was leading the race, so you think that you would put, and and this is how it normally works: is the guy who's in the lead gets the favorable strategy, right? But they swapped Max and put Max on the two-stopper and put Ricardo on the three-stopper, which put him back behind Vettel and fighting his way with Vettel. Well, okay, but hang on. Mm -hmm. Keep in mind, the person in the lead was to have the favorable strategy. Everybody had said that a three-stop race was was the fastest way around the track. That was going into the, the... That was going in, but that was before the safety car. Because the safety car, and, and granted, it was a short safety car. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we've seen six, seven laps of safety car, and I think this was like three. Mm-hmm. So it was a shorter than, than normal safety car period. Um, and, and once that safety car came out, though, the thought was that now there was an opportunity for two stopping, as we saw with both Kimmy and Max. Got it. So... Yeah, R- Ricardo was a little confused by why Max got that call and not him. Mm. But Seb wasn't particularly happy with Ricardo. You think? He had yeah. words. Yeah, he did. Um, Vettel complained about the move about a move that uh, Ricardo had made uh, in the closing laps, attacking Vettel, uh, including a pass into turn one that he was not able to make s- stick. Vettel complained about the move on the radio, saying, what is this, racing or ping pong? Um, Ricardo's reaction to this is, you know, overall he was not impressed. Mm -hmm. Um, um, Dan's words. Apparently he said I was a bit aggressive on the radio. Typical. Unlike 99% of the drivers on the grid, I actually tried to make an overtake. A lot of them are content sitting behind and not actually having a crack. I tried a few times, but it didn't work but I wasn't content sitting in fourth. Knowing we were catching the cars in front and Seb was in our way for a podium and a potential win, of course I was going to try. I gave it a go. But what is up with Ricardo and that knock about other drivers not being willing to pass? That, yeah, I was a little surprised by that. You know, Honey Badger doesn't care. Apparently. 
So Vettel's reflection on it when, once he had a chance to calm down. Oh, great. I he, love that we're now getting to the point of Vettel reaction. Now he's calm. Yes. Um, he said, it was once Harry in the first corner. In that instant, I was on fire and complaining because if I didn't play according to his move, there would be a crash. Then again, it's racing. The one chance he had was when I had a bad exit and he has to go for it. I have raced him many times and it's good fun. Battle has a reaction. Then we backpedal. Yeah. Let, let's let's go back to the A, it's racing, and B, as you said, if you didn't play according to his move and he had the right to make that move, then there would have been a crash. Yeah. Get over yourself. Get over yourself. And yeah. on, on the one hand, and I like that we're hearing more from Vettel and he's more emotional and we're getting, you know, we're getting one of the problems I have with formula one is that the driver gets in the car and there's no real way for fans to connect to them. You don't see their faces unless they're going and flipping off or waving or something. Another driver, you don't see emotion from them unless they get on the radio. Mm-hmm. And thanks to the radio ban, we hear that much less from the drivers. Right. So for Vettel to be reacting on the radio, it gives us something. And I agree with you. That's I, why I was really opposed to the radio ban. I get yeah. the idea of not coaching, but to not encourage them to talk so that we can hear something from them along the way, I think is detrimental because in this day and age, these things are about connecting. Yeah. And um, if, you know, the promoter of F1 was more of a marketer, maybe they would understand that this is the age of connection, not production. Well, you can't slam F1 too much. The, and, and the reason why I say that, and it, as much as we have stopped going and, and spending a lot of time on Formula One's website, because for many years, the content that they created was rather underwhelming. Mm-hmm. This year, they do seem to have stepped it up a bit. I have there noticed is that, including Twitter feeds and such. Twi- interesting stuff going into the Twitter. A lot of behind-the-scenes stuff going on coming from Twitter, and the videos going up are a much deeper look, and it's a lot less of the fluff of, well, this was this weekend, and that's the end of it. Mm-hmm. it, it it's a, a lot more into all of F1 and not just, this is your race report. Have a good day. And I you got to give them credit for that. I That's give them credit huge. for that. But then you turn around and you tell them not to talk on the radio. It's two different groups, though. I, I get but that. But I agree. Just want to make sure that, you know, there, there was some good things to say. And I don't necessarily blame I can't Bernie for that. you defend Bernie. No. I don't you necess- are defending the bad hair Bernie. No. I, I want to make sure that blame goes in the right direction. And this wasn't Bernie. This was Charlie Whiting. I blame Charlie. No, for this. but Bernie supported it because he was opposed to the supposed coaching that was. Well, happening. no, Bernie supported it because um, Bernie feels that access of any sort is a privilege that he should dole out to people he wants to get influence over. That's why <laughs> Bernie supported it. It has nothing to do with anything else so or the coaching or any of that stuff. Bernie was in charge of it. 
they could talk on the radio more if they paid him more? No. If Bernie was in charge of it, he, he would um, charge fans by radio message that was broadcast. True. True. The drivers could talk all they wanted. How much you got to hear depended on how much you got. You actually paid. You know, remember, you must your bank account must be this big to participate. That's <laughs> Bernie's theory. That is Bernie's theory. So, yeah, I think that wraps it up for the week. Yes. We are we will have a show next week, but there's no race next week. Correct. Um the following week we will be on vacation, which means unfortunately we will not be around for Monaco. We will have to do the post-Monaco wrap-up show later. Which means we are crossing our fingers that we will get to see Monaco. Well, we're working on it. We're working on it. On that note, I think that we should tell our fans to leave us reviews, leave us comments, question everything we talk about, what was What was your reaction to the big dust-up in lap one? And what do you think of the fact that what is it? Every race but one we have had. Actually, I think every single race this season, there has been a turn one incident. We should, we should do some research and see if we've made it through turn one on any race. What do you but think about that? Roman Grosjean is not at the heart of any of them this year. <laughs> that's important. I think that's important. He, he is not the first lap nutcase for one. And on that note, I think we'll cue Barbie. We are so glad you came. Bye-bye. 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 Bye-bye now. Bye. Bye-bye. Remember, please discard all candy wrappers and popcorn containers in the nearest trash receptacle. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Bye. <laughs> okay. Are they all gone? Uh, is, is, there, is everybody gone? <laughs> huh? Good. Oh my gosh, my cheeks are killing me. I can't keep smiling like this anymore. I am exhausted. I think I need a break. A little break? Okay. Whew.